We're in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13. It's kind of a halfway point in Acts. First part of the letter really deals with the church in Jerusalem, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and God's unfolding plan to take the gospel to all the earth. Peter's the primary player, Peter and the apostles, but primarily Peter. The second half of Acts, Paul's the primary player. And it's really about the church at Antioch. And we talked about last week how God didn't use the celebrity church of Jerusalem where all the big guys were to really launch the missionary effort. He used the nobody church. The church that had you know, Simon of Niger there, who nobody knows. Menaean, a Herodian, nobody knows. Uh, Lucius of Cyprus, nobody knows. Paul who was you know, still Saul, but he, he's now going to be referred to as Paul, but he was a persecutor of the church. Certainly not the big guy who hung around Jesus himself. And yet Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit said, this is the church that's going to launch the effort. And Barnabas was there, of course. And last week we looked at this message, Paul. This is Paul's first recorded message in Scripture. And we saw his proclamation of God's sovereignty. How he proclaimed over and over in the first part of his message, God did this. God gave this. God removed this person. God put in this person. Because it was about God's sovereignty. He is sovereign over every aspect of our life. Things we like, things we don't like. He's sovereign over it all. He's a sovereign of the universe. There's not a military leader in the world more powerful than he is. There's not a genius in the world smarter than he is. He created everything. And Paul is getting that across to the Jewish people who looked at their own heritage as their source of salvation. They believed they were accepted by God because God chose Abraham and God chose them. And all they had to depend on was the fact that they were from the line of Abraham. And, God, and Paul's saying, first of all, you need to understand that when God chose Abraham, it wasn't just for you. All throughout the Old Testament, go look. It was always about getting the Gospel to the ends of the earth. God's people were supposed to be the kingdom priest. He told them back in Exodus, you will be My priest to go to the nations. In Isaiah, He talks about taking the light to the Gentiles. And so, we saw that during the first part of His message in 13. The second part of his message he went into was the provision of his salvation. And we talked last week about how his salvation may be different than the salvation we've been taught or even different than the salvation we expect. And I said, if you ask a hundred people, what does it mean to be saved? What do you save from? Most people would respond, what? Hell. But that's not why He came. He didn't come to save you from hell. That's a benefit of why He came. He came to save you from yourself. To save you from your own leadership. To save you from leading your own life. Trying to be a God. And that's what we all do. We try to hold on to control in our life. He didn't come to save you from alcohol. He didn't come to save you from drugs. He didn't come to save you from sexual addiction. He came to save you from being your own God. That's 
this message. He's God. He's over us. And when He sent His Son Jesus, Jesus came to reign. Remember we mentioned Isaiah 52 where Paul quotes in Romans 10. This is the good news. Salvation, peace, and our God reigns. He reigns over all. And so the salvation message, this salvation Paul referred to in his message was a message of God saving us from ourselves. And that's what really sin is, isn't it? Every time we sin, what are we doing? We're exercising our own sovereignty in an area that God says, I I don't think you should do that. And we're going to know, we know better, and we're going to do it. And that's what sin is. And so He saved us from the power of sin. He saved us from the penalty of sin. But ultimately, He came to save us from sin. That's why He came. And so we saw the purpose of His Son at the end of His message last week. He said, He came to free everyone from everything that the law could not save you from. That's really His purpose. You see, He's talking to Jews. You've got to remember who He's talking to. And they believed that the law was what would save them. If they followed the law, they could be righteous. Not that They knew they weren't perfect, but if they did the sacrifice the way God told them, then they did everything, then they were upstanding Jews and God would receive them. That's what they believed. Well, the Jewish people, the very people that God says, through you, all the families of the world are going to be blessed. You're going to be my kingdom priest. Guess what they became to the church? They were the primary persecutors of the early church. It was Jewish people. If you go back, look in Acts 4. Remember Acts 4 and 5? They threw Peter and John in jail. Why? Because they were preaching about Messiah. They were preaching that Jesus was Messiah. So they threw Him in jail. They should have embraced Messiah, but instead, they persecute those that follow Messiah. What about Acts 7? Stephen, when he stood up to preach, and he's talking about Messiah, taking him through an Old Testament survey a lot like this message, and what happens? They kill him. He's the first martyr. They kill him for it. Acts chapter 9. Saul, the persecutor who ends up going, okay, I see Messiah. I recognize Him now. And his whole life changes and he becomes a follower of Messiah. What do they want to do right away when they find out Paul, the great persecutor, becomes a follower of Messiah? They want to kill him. They have to smuggle him out. And all throughout Scripture, we see the Jewish people are the chief persecutors of the church. This doesn't justify the Holocaust. This doesn't justify anti-Semitism. But it's almost a reverse anti-Semitism. It's the Jewish people were rejecting Messiah's people simply for being Messiah's people. And why did they do that? Because they thought Christianity was an aberration of Judaism. They thought Jesus was this rogue guy who took elements of Judaism and then basically created his own religion. And that's not the case at all. Christianity is not a breakaway of Judaism. It's the fulfillment of God's plan that started when He chose a people named Israel. Actually, when He chose Abraham. And he, he, he just goes through and He lays out this plan to reach the rest of the world. So today what we see is Acts 13, 40-52, the result of the message. 
Every time a message is preached, in fact, today, when I get through, because I'm, I'm preaching, I'm, I'm hopefully explaining this Word, teaching and preaching, and at the end of every time God's Word goes out, there's three, usually three responses to it. And we see it in the text today. But there's no middle ground with God. No. There is no middle ground. You, you either obey God or you disobey Him. You can't half obey Him. It's kind of like having a foot in God's boat here and a foot in the boat over here where I'm in control. Those boats go in opposite directions. Oh, you may think your boat's going alongside God's boat for a while, but ultimately you're going to see it's going to go in the opposite direction because your boat lives for you. His boat lives for His glory. And so, in this message today, what Paul does is this is the end after he's given the Gospel to him, and he basically, it's an epilogue. You know what an epilogue is? It's kind of at the back of the book. kind of tells you, okay, this is what the rest of the story, this is kind of what happened. That's what this is today. This is an epilogue. And in it, he's saying there's no middle ground. So he starts off this by revealing, first of all, a divine warning. It's right from Scripture. He shows them this divine warning from the book of Habakkuk. And so that's the first thing. Second thing he shows is a different word for his people. A different word. His word is the only word that matters. If somebody wants to come to you and say you ought to believe this because this, and they try to go outside of Scripture, you need to be suspect because His Word is the only Word that matters in relation to spiritual things. Salvation. Connection with God. So He gives His people a different Word. The the Word is how He guided His people. That's the way shepherds always guided their sheep. Not by sight, but they guide them by their voice. And so he he references that a lot in Scripture. Third, he reveals a dynamic witness to the world. You know the difference between a static and a dynamic witness? What's a dynamic witness? What's a dynamic versus static? Yes, moving. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. It's not... Israel thought they were just supposed to get blessed and not do anything. But God said, no, you're my messengers you're my priest and they wouldn't do it so God said okay since they won't I'm going to use these people to do it and that's what he did and then fourth he reveals a dishonored washout you know what a washout is if you guys follow football it's a blue chipper that comes a cow chipper a blue chipper that becomes a cow chipper that's what they say in Texas anyway this guy was supposed to be a great quarterback and he ended up being a dud. He's a washout. He's a washout. That's, that's what we see. A dishonored washout. Dishonored washout. They, they were chosen for glory and instead they rejected Messiah and they became destined for judgment. That's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing. We see it all the time. And finally, he reveals a devoted worshiper. Devoted worshipers, plural. He reveals devoted worshipers in the fact that the Gentiles, the very people that the Israelites hated, 
They were bigoted against those people. They were prejudiced against those people. They became devoted worshipers of the one true living God. They were excited about it. And we're going to see that in the text. So open up to Acts 13, verse 40. We're going to read, and then we'll come back and look at each one of these quickly. Acts 13, starting in verse 40. It says, Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting, by the way, just real quick, I, was, I read this and I was wondering, why do you guys never beg me to be teaching more? Like they did. They went out begging. Hey, we wanted to hear this next week. I want to hear more of this. I want to hear more of this. Do you ever walk out of your church and go up to the pastor and say, man, I want to hear more of this next week? We keep coming back. <laughs> well, that's true. But you ain't begging, Amos. They were begging. Something grabbed them that, that week that they begged. The word there is begged. They were begging and pleading. Please don't leave. Don't, don't go away. Come back. And so it says that it says the, the people begged these things might be told them the next Sabbath. Verse 42. Now verse 43. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the Word of the Lord. The whole city came back. That's a, I mean, you'd see that and you go, that's a revival, right? But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. And they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the Word of God be spoken first to you since you thrust it aside and you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy, filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. May God bless His Word. So Paul starts off this epilogue after he gives them the Gospel. He says, Beware! 
Beware. Beware. Lest what is said in the prophets, plural, should come about. He wasn't just referencing Habakkuk, even though this is the reference that he uses. It's Habakkuk 1.5. And you know what happens in the first four verses of Habakkuk 1? Habakkuk has been commissioned by God to preach to the people of Israel. And his preaching's having no impact. You ever share the Gospel with somebody and feel like you're not having an impact? Nothing changes. You're talking to them. Nothing happens. Happens a lot. And he was mad. Habakkuk was upset. And he goes, God, why are you allowing this? Why aren't you acting? These people aren't changing. He was griping about how evil it was and God was doing nothing. You know what God says? I'm doing something. You have no idea what I'm doing. In fact, I'm raising up the Babylonians to judge Israel. A people more vile than Israel. A people more pagan than Israel. I'm going to raise them up and I'm going to do a work of judgment on Israel so amazing that it's beyond your comprehension. Because it was beyond their comprehension that God would allow such a pagan nation to come in and be an instrument to teach them a lesson. And you know what he's saying through Paul? He's saying, I'm raising up salvation out of your ability to comprehend. Religion is about doing stuff in our own ability. But true Christianity, we bring nothing to the table. God says, I set the standard. I give the sacrifice. I provide the righteousness. It's all God. He does it. I'm going to do a work of judgment on my son that's so outlandish and so amazing, it's beyond your comprehension. That's what Paul's saying. That's why he's referencing Habakkuk. He's saying it's going to be so unbelievable, nobody's going to believe it. It's too fantastic a story. Too good to be true. Do you know when I was in Russia years ago sharing the Gospel with people, and I would share, they go, that's impossible. So you mean Hitler could be saved? As bad as he is, all he has to do is say he believes in Jesus. And I said, no, that's not what I said. I said he has to believe in Jesus. It's not just saying you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You have to believe in Jesus. The problem with our country is we've got a lot of people that say they believe in Jesus, but they don't believe in Jesus. They're still their king. They're still their Lord. There's, and there's so much gospel confusion out there about what the good news is. And so, he's saying through Paul, listen, this is a fantastic story, but you better believe it. <laughs> you, you better beware. because what the, Remember Hebrews? Remember when we studied Hebrews? All the warnings in there to, to the Jewish people? Hey, don't be like... The Israelites in the desert, they were stubborn. They wouldn't listen to God. God's sending messengers. How many times did God send messengers into your life? How many times does He send people in? And it's too good to be true. God won't help me. He may not help you the way you think you ought to be helped, but He helps you 
the way He wants to help you because He's God. He's got a plan. And He's sovereign. And every bad thing that you experience, every good thing that you experience flows through His hand for His glory. He wants to use you. Do you think Job, when Job went through the struggles he was going through, was, was enjoying that at all? But he, he said, though he slay me, what? Still I will praise him. Because he knew God was in control and he trusted him above everything. That's an incredible faith. And so he gives them this divine warning. Why? Because there's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. You can't trust God when things are good. People call me. I'm, a, I'm done with God. I'm done with Jesus. It ain't working. Well, it ain't a formula. That's why it ain't working. There is no formula. He came to redeem you as His people. And He wants you to trust Him. The whole thing is He wants us to trust. And so, that trust looked different and how it was like carried out in the Old Testament and New Testament, but people were saved in the same way. In the Old Testament, why was Abraham received by God? Because of faith. It was the mechanism. But it was God's grace in all of their lives. Whether it was Abraham, he called Abraham from a pagan nation and said, you're going to be mine. He called uh, Jacob and not Esau. It was grace. And, and so, he gives this different word to people in the text today when Paul encouraged them to continue what? In the grace of God. It's grace, not works. There's nothing we can do to earn His favor. Amen. Nothing. And the good news is that He offers us salvation from our leadership, power over sin, power over Satan, power over death, he offers that at no cost to us. But it was a great cost to Him. And that's why we don't take it cheaply. That's why there's no easy believism. Because there, Jesus died for you and me on the cross to pay the penalty. He took our punishment. He paid the, the price for us to be adopted into God's family. But it was a different word. And notice you know, what they say in verse 42. As they went out, they begged these things might be told them the next Sabbath. I wonder if they struggle with the same thing we do. Like on the Sabbath, everybody got holy, but the rest of the week they did what they want. Because they said, let's wait. Why didn't they want to know right then? You know, I mean, I think that happens a lot with us as men. We'll get truth that will be given to us from God's Word. And I need to think about that a little bit. You know what we're really saying? I'm not ready to obey. And delayed obedience is disobedience, guys. There's no two ways about it. You delay in obeying something God's put in front of you, that's disobedience. And, and He wants us not to be people of disobedience. He wants us to be people who put Him on display. What kind of God is it that has people that delay in obeying Him? They're certainly not loyal people. And we're, we're so guilty of that because we think somehow we're, we're on par with God to tell Him, I don't want to do that, God. I mean, we can feel like we don't want to do it. We can not like to want to do it, but we do it because He's God. 
And we're His. And we know it. And we know that if He asks us to do something, we can trust His leadership. It was it reminded me of Felix over in Acts 24. When Paul was sharing the Gospel with Felix, it says he became alarmed. And he sent Paul away. I'll send you away. I'll call for you later. I've had enough for today. There was so much conviction in Felix's heart. And he did bring him back later hoping he'd give him some money. The time passed. He was there. Paul gave him the Gospel. That was Felix's opportunity to trust. And he said no. He said no. A lot of people do that. But Paul said, continue in the grace. Well, he's telling them, be real. Validate your faith by continuing. You keep on. You persevere. Trusting. It's not that you are responsible. Do you know, here's the thing. There's a, there's a big debate that's been going on for years about lordship, salvation, and, and it, it was really a response to something that happened back. I, it's been going on for years back to the time of Christ or after he, or the early church. I, I should say the time of the early church. But the, the issue is this. You can believe in Jesus as Savior, but you don't have to trust Him as Lord. That's just, that's just crazy that anybody would believe that, first of all. That they, and, and you hear it all the time. I've heard testimonies on more than a few occasions where people say, well, I trusted Jesus as my Savior as a 10-year-old, but He became my Lord when I was 40. So you mean for 30 years? Oh, I was saved when I was 10. Oh, I walked the aisle. That doesn't save you. I was saved because I was baptized. That doesn't save you. I was saved because I did this or I did that. And I know I knew He was Jesus. The devil knows He's Jesus. The devil knows He died on the cross. The devil knows the whole story. It's not about intellectual knowledge. It's about a conviction in your heart, a belief. That's what the word believe means in the Bible. It's not a belief like you and I believe in George Washington. It's a belief that produces an action. The action is not what we do to earn anything from God, but it's a fruit from true belief. And so there's no way it is absolutely impossible to trust Jesus as Savior and reject Him as Lord. You can't. It's two sides of the same coin. So you, you can't take him, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I just I only want him to save me. No, you don't know who he is. You don't know, you're not, that's not the spirit talking, that's your flesh talking. Because the spirit recognizes he is Lord, whether you say he's Lord or not. The spirit recognizes that. But the different word he gives here is this word grace. They weren't used to that. For them, it was all the law. It was the law, but they didn't realize that the law was God's grace. The sacrificial system was God's grace. God was unfolding a plan, demonstrating to His people through, at first, it's like kindergarten. In kindergarten, you don't start off with calculus books. You start off with picture books. And you let them see. The Old Testament was a bunch of pictures that when they got to the New Testament... Now he's saying, okay, I'm unfolding it at a deeper level so you can see. And it's grace. It's grace. It's grace. 
The key to the people that responded. By the way, there are three responses. I told you, you see them here. First is, I'm not ready. I need more time. Second response, people believe. Third response, they just reject. And you see that. You see it in Acts 17 on Mars Hill when Paul preached. You see it today. I've seen all three of those responses many times as I've shared the Gospel with people. But the key to the people who do respond is they grasp the Word of God. Notice it says, verse 44, the Word of the Lord. Verse 46, the Word of God. Verse 48, the Word of the Lord. Verse 49, the Word of the Lord. You know what the Word of the Lord is? It's the Gospel. And they recognize it as God's Word. And it's said in Romans 10, Paul wrote, faith comes by hearing, and hearing through what? The Word of God. The Word of Christ. Hearing the Word of Christ. That's where faith comes from. It's grace. Well, what happens? Verse 44. The next Sabbath, the whole city gathered, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous. Why were they upset? Why were the Jews upset? Well, Jews believed. It said earlier in a couple of verses earlier, they believed. Why were they so upset now? Oh, well, it wasn't just donations. It wasn't. Who did it say was in the center? Who was there? The whole city. Do you know what city this was? This was Antioch of Pisidia, primarily made up. It was like a cosmopolitan area. A lot of pagans, Romans, Greeks, Alexandrians, they were all there. And they were all listening to Paul. Now they wanted to know. And the Jews are looking around going, whoa, 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 wait a minute. This is our deal. This, this, what, what is he doing? And so they start contradicting what Paul said. They start reviling Paul. Why? Bigotry. Jealousy. And, and, and basically, all of a sudden, they're hostile. It is a hostile environment. I don't know if you've ever been in a hostile environment like that where you're speaking and all of a sudden things break out. I've been like that over in Russia one time. It is not fun. You're wondering what's going to happen. People in the crowd start stirring. Why is this guy here? Why is he? He's trying to Americanize us or whatever he's doing. They, these people were upset. And they were upset at Paul. They didn't like the message. They didn't like the messenger. But notice what Paul and Barnabas did. It says they spoke out boldly. That word in the Greek means that they articulated clearly. It's not that they were courageous. That's not what it means. It means they articulated clearly. You don't change the message just because people don't like it. That's what we've done in our modern culture. We've been pragmatic. We've watered it down. We don't talk about God being king or Jesus being king. We talk about what He does for you. He wants you to have peace. He wants you to have uh, uh, health. He wants you to have this. He wants you to have that. So now, people really get upset when they start following Christ and realize it's hard. When they follow Christ and they realize it's full of bad things happening to you. You get a target on your back. People don't like that. But don't think that He came just to bring peace. Matthew 10.34, Jesus said, don't think that I've come to bring peace to earth. I've come not to bring peace, 
but a sword to set a man against his son, a daughter against her mother-in-law. And boy, it's there. There's division there. But notice what he says. Paul says, since you, hey, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. First to you. But you've judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. You've judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. People reject the gospel because they love their sin, they love their control. Whether it's immorality, whether it's pride, whether it's prejudice, it doesn't matter. They want to control their life. And so they reject the Gospel. John 3.18 says, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but he, whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why did He say first to you? Why did He say to the Jews first? Well, guys, the Gospel has a Jewish context, a Jewish framework, Jewish vocabulary. God wanted the Jews to be His priest nation to the world. That's why He chose them. Exodus 19, remember? You are a holy priesthood. 1 Peter 2, chapter, uh, verse 9. I've made you a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And now He says, if you won't do it, you know what? I'm going to use Gentiles to reach the world. That's fine. You won't do it. You reject me. I'll use the Gentiles. Guys, the Gospel that they were supposed to grasp is that God requires one thing from us. One thing. To admit that we're not smart enough to know God on our own. To admit that we're not good enough to approach a holy God and any kind of righteousness we can bring to the table. And to admit that we're not strong enough to defeat sin, Satan, or death on our own. That's what He wants. We need Him. The whole thing of the Gospel is that we need Him. We can't do it. God saves us through Christ and His Word. You know, in John 6, people went up to Jesus and they said, what do we have to do to do the works of God? In other words, what do we got to do to be saved? He said, this is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He sent. Abraham believed you, God. Yeah, you reject Christ, you reject God. The only way you don't need Jesus is if you never sin and you never die. That's it. Other than that, everybody needs Jesus. And he says in verse 47, he says, I have made you a light for who? For the Gentiles. He's quoting there, guys. He's quoting from Isaiah. This is an Old Testament thing. This is not new that you bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Remember Acts 1.8? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying God. Why? Uh, why, did they, why did they rejoice? It says, as many as were appointed to eternal life believe. You know what that word appointed means? It means put on the list in the Greek. I don't know why guys struggle so much with God choosing this person and not choosing this person. We go, that's not fair. Well, if He's God, whatever He does is fair because He's God. He can make every building in the world red and it would be fair because it's His world. 
And people, I, I had just a couple of weeks ago, a guy get upset. I'm teaching and I talk about God's sovereignty and salvation. Well, you know, I don't believe that. That's Calvinism. No, that's biblical. It's not Calvinism. It's biblical. He says even here, and I use this verse, Acts 13. And he said, as many as were appointed, written on the list, believed. Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. Revelation chapter 17, verse 8. You know what it says there? It says, as many whose names were not written in the book of life before the foundation of the world got the mark of the beast. So if it says their names weren't written in, it implies they're people who were written in. And we know from Ephesians 1.4 that God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. It's all throughout Scripture. And so what we should be doing instead of arguing about whether He chose us or not is take Him at His Word and do what these Gentiles did and celebrate that He did choose us. That you want to talk about Him. That you, want, you care about Him. He chose He chose. And you know what, what happened? He said, you know, you judged yourself. They, listen, I heard a pastor say this one time. He said that, you know, if, if you listen to a great symphony, like somebody listening to um, uh, Beethoven, you know, a symphony playing Beethoven, and they go up, and you know, if you've ever listened to symphony, there's just something magical about that, but you listen to it, and that's been recognized by music critics all over the world. People who are, who've studied music as one of the greatest, you know, uh, greatest pieces of, of music that's out there. And some guy comes in from backwoods Mississippi and goes, that's terrible. He just judged himself. Because he's no judge of music. And whether he likes it or not, it doesn't impact whether the quality of the music is good or not. And that's what he's saying here. Is that they judge themselves. They showed, they rejected Messiah. That's not a statement of Paul or the Messiah. It's a statement of them. They condemned themselves to hell by rejecting Him. Dishonored washouts. People who missed the opportunity. They, they didn't heed the, the warnings that Paul gave. And they just continued to walk. They incited. They persecuted. They drove them out. And you know what they did? They went like this. Shut the dust off their feet when they left that town. You know why? Because over in Luke 9.10, Jesus... Uh, I'm sorry, Luke 9.5, Jesus told the disciples, if you go into a house and you share and they don't receive it, when you leave, shake the dust off your feet because no Jew would come back into Israel if he'd gone through a pagan land without shaking the dust off his feet because he couldn't bring pagan soil back into Israel. That's what that came from. And so they were divine dishonored washouts. You know what it's like um, when my son played football out in Texas? I had a guy on the team that was a really, really good football player. He was an A-team player, no question about it. He was the A-team of the A-team. But he had a bad attitude. He had a bad attitude. He thought he, he knew he was the best player on the team, and he acted like that. And one day, the coach said, you go sit over there. And he put in the B-team player. 
How do you think that B team player felt when he got put on the field to go play? He was happy to be there, right? He didn't think he deserved to be there. He was just happy to be there. He knew that the better player just got sat on the bench, but he was excited. So he was grateful. That's what these people are. The Gentiles are so excited that God would choose them. They know where they've been delivered from. They knew their pagan past. They knew the idolatry they participated in. They knew the debauchery they had been a part of. And they were excited that the God of the universe would choose them to be part of His family. That's why they were so excited. They weren't the chosen people. They weren't. But you know what? Paul in Romans 10 quotes Moses in Deuteronomy and says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry, he says. In Romans 10.20, he quotes Isaiah. He says, I have been found by those who didn't seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. He says, you make me jealous, I'm going to make you jealous. And that's exactly what he did. And you know what happened, guys? He ended up with devoted worshipers. Verse 52, notice what it says. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They were Spirit-filled and joyful. Spirit-filled, guys, doesn't mean walking around with your hands up going, praise Jesus, praise Jesus. Or it doesn't mean, man, that was good worship music. That's not Spirit. Spirit Spirit-filled in the biblical sense means being obedient to God. It always meant being obedient to God. When you were filled with the Spirit, it was you were doing the will of God. And so they were obedient and grateful. So what's the application for me and you? Well, you've heard the Word of the Lord today. You've heard the Word of the Lord. It's gone out to 20-something people here. And every one of you is a different application. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows where you are. He knows what you're struggling with. And He's given you some kind of word from Him today that you have a choice. You can delay and not do anything. Say, I'm going to come back next week. Maybe I'll get more clarity. Delayed obedience is disobedience. You can receive His word with faith and say, you know what? Boy, there needs to be some changes in my life. Lord, you're going to have to help me. I don't even know how to do it. But I know I need change. I'm calling on you to change me. I know I can't do it without you. I receive your word. Help me. I need you. That's all he wants. Or you can reject it. Just say, you know what? I didn't even get anything out of that today. I got nothing. Nothing. And you can walk out of here and you can judge yourself. But I tell you what, at the very least, you ought to heed the warning that he gave. Beware. Beware. Because what did he say in that warning? I'm going to read it to you again. He quotes Habakkuk. He says, Beware. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. That's scary. That's scary. whole book of Hebrews was nothing but warnings to people who were prideful and said, you know what, God can say this, but I'm not going to listen. So, Father, I just thank You for the reminder today of Your Word that, Lord, we are Your people and that, Lord, You have called us to be obedient, trusting, needy, 
And Lord, we haven't always done that. And I just pray that if you're here today in this group and God has penetrated your heart with anything, that you right where you are in the quietness of your own heart would acknowledge, one, anything that you've done to go against Him, anything you've done to reject Him and to reject His leadership and to reject, most importantly, His Messiah, Jesus Acknowledge what Jesus did on that cross as being the only thing needed and that you believe in Him. You believe He's Messiah and you believe He lives today and you want Him to reign over you as your King. The King of kings and the Lord of lords means He's King of you. And you're going to move forward in faith trusting in Him to lead you. Even though you don't know where He's going to take you, but you're going to lead you're going to follow His leadership in that way. Father, for, for us who've already bowed our hearts to You but have struggled with some of the things Satan's thrown at us, I pray that You would strengthen us to walk in obedience, to walk in gratitude, thankful that You've chosen us, and to be people who are joyful and Spirit-filled. Let us represent you well to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.